0: In Isaiah 62, we have a song of a great wedding day where God saves Israel to himself. She is given his righteousness, and this righteousness shines out like a light that will not go out. When God truly saves a person, their lives endure as a shining light. Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hugan, and this is The Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, The Bread of Life. If you're looking for a place to give that is taking the gospel in direct and personal evangelism throughout the world, please consider Church Partnership Evangelism. You can learn more about how God is using us by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. In Matthew 25 verses 1 through 13, the Lord Jesus tells the parable of the ten virgins waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom. Five have oil in their lamps to burn and five do not. To understand the parable's meaning, keep in mind that the ten virgins are not brides. They are bridesmaids waiting to celebrate a great wedding. Also, the light in their lamps may reflect the words of Isaiah 62, a righteousness that shines forth as salvation, burning as a torch. We're back in the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is this teaching that the Lord Jesus gave where he was explaining to his disciples the events and the elements that would take place in the last days before he returned. And in this parable, he places his focus upon the life that his followers are to live in the interim before his return. What it is that he is wanting to find in them as he returns. And this is a very personal account. It actually mirrors other parables that we may have read. You've read of the parable of the soils where the sower went out and he sowed into different ground and he found some ground that was rocky and the seed sprouted up but because it was shallow and rocky when the sun came upon it it dried away and it died and the seed fell in thorny ground and it grew up for a moment but then the cares of the world came around and that Seed died away and some of it fell on good soil, it says, and produced fruit. There's a picture of the fact that the gospel doesn't always produce the same results in the lives of various individuals. The Lord Jesus even went further on in the next parable he told. He told the parable of a man who went out and sowed in his field wheat and then his enemy came and in the middle of the same field sowed tares and there were tares and wheat growing up together and the servants of the man said, Lord, should we not just pull up the tares? And he said, no, don't. You might pull up some of the wheat with it. Wait. And basically, wait until the judgment comes. And God will filter out the wheat from the tares. And yet the Lord Jesus was implying that there was going to be this mixed nature in his kingdom of those who were truly of his and bearing fruit and those who were not. And, but you read those passages. Well, I don't know how much you can identify with a stalk of wheat or tares. But this passage, to some extent, we're meant to identify with it. We're meant to identify it in a very personal way, and it's along the same lines. It's the story or the account of individuals who are participating in the life of the fellowship and they are engaged in the activities of the fellowship and yet not all of them actually have been truly and wonderfully saved. The parable puts a focus on what is required or what God looks for in the heart of individuals that makes the difference between those who are wise and those who are foolish. Those who are ready to meet the king when he returns and those who are not ready to meet the king when he returns. There are parts of this passage that will confuse us if we try to make these particular elements too meaningful or we try to apply too much meaning to the various items. Although we see that the lamps can be an expression of salvation, we don't know for sure. And although I have an idea that the oil may be the Holy Spirit, we do not know for sure. And we don't necessarily know what the significance is that the virgins are sleeping at the moment in which the groom is announced to be coming but i think more than anything else the particulars of these stories are likely intended to place within the imaginations of those who are listening a true experience of the account in other words they provide details that are true for actual marriages and weddings at that time these are the types of things that took place in the time of the lord jesus christ A bride would have her bridesmaids, and when the time was approaching for her wedding, these young women in the community would come in celebration to join her as she anticipated and prepared for her wedding. There was no specific date for the wedding that was set. The groom was preparing a place for her, and he was working to make the place ready for her in his father's house, and when that place was prepared, and when that house was built, and when that room, that extra room was built, at the time that all was finished and all was prepared, at that time, he would send one of his party forward to go to the bride's house, and the person would go forward through the community yelling out, the bridegroom comes, the bridegroom comes to announce his coming. And At that point in time, the members of the bride's party and the groom's party would gather together, and they would make their way together from the bride's house to the groom's house that he had prepared for his bride and there they would gather together for some time to celebrate. They didn't go on a honeymoon. They brought their friends around their house and they gathered around their house and maybe for a week. If it was a royal wedding it might be for a month. They would celebrate together this great wedding feast. They came at night by the way they would all gather around them with torches and light and they'd lead them in a lighted processional back to their house and that was a part of the celebration. That was a part of the experience. And There they would go and celebrate the wedding feast. They would celebrate the marriage of this happy couple. and God uses the idea of a wedding or of wedding feast or of brides or of bridesmaids or bridegrooms and marriage in scripture to illustrate something of the celebration and the joy and the intimacy and the relationship that he's wanting to bring us into for all eternity. In one parable, the Lord Jesus speaks of the church as represented by the wedding guests that are all invited to a great wedding feast. On another occasion, the scriptures refer to us, the church, as the bride that's being received by Jesus Christ and brought into the feast. And, and this story that we're reading, it's the bridesmaids that we represent, eager to welcome the bridegroom and to go with him in his great celebration and with him in his great joy and to be with him in that great feast. But here's what you're to focus upon in this story. The first thing is this, the groom is the Lord Jesus. The groom is the Lord Jesus. And he is being waited for. And he is worth waiting for. And he is bringing those waiting for him into an everlasting place of celebration and blessing. His coming seems to be delayed. And life goes on during the time period of that delay. But when he comes, he's going to come suddenly and surprisingly. And here's something else you should note from our story. We're to be found waiting for him. We're to be found waiting and ready for his coming. Now, in this lesson of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus intends to explain to his true disciples or to give an explanation of or to give a declaration of what will be found in the heart attitude of his true disciples as they're waiting for him. What is it that the person who has truly found him and truly been restored into relationship with him what will be discovered in their life at the time that Christ returns? And what will be discovered in those who have not truly discovered him and truly known him? What will be discovered in their lives? So in this story, you have the bridegroom is coming, but you also have him coming to 10 bridesmaids, five that are wise, five that are not wise, five that have enough oil to burn in their lamps to meet the bridegroom when he comes, delayed or not, and to go with him to the wedding feast, to go with him into eternal life, and five others who do not have enough oil to burn. They are not ready to wait and be ready when he comes. They're not prepared at the time, at any time, should he come to go with him into eternal life. Note, there seems to be, actually, when you look at this story, no difference between the wise and the unwise on the surface of things. All of them have their lamps. All of them have oil that's burning with them. All of them are gathered in the same place to wait. All of them are found sleeping together as they wait. That is, they're just living life together. But when the announcement comes... The foolish ones do not have what is sufficient to go with the wedding party to the feast. They're out of oil. and They want to borrow what is needed from the wise, and the wise can't give it to them. They don't have oil for them to borrow. Please note the outcome of this. The wise are brought into the feast, and the unwise are left outside a shut door. Those left outside will claim relationship to the groom. Lord, Lord, open to us, they say. And the groom will say, I don't know you. And the door to the feast remains forever shut to them. That's the story. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Let's draw some lessons from this parable. And here's the first lesson that we should understand. The visible church of professing Christians is a mixed crowd There is the invisible church that makes up those who have been redeemed in heaven and redeemed on earth. This invisible church that is the bride of Jesus Christ or those who are going to enjoy him forever and ever. But the visible church, the local church, the church as it is presented on earth today, throughout the world and in our community and in this place is a mixed crowd containing those who truly know Christ and those who do not. Those who are ready to receive him when he comes and those who will find out that they have no light in themselves with which to meet him when he returns. It's kind of sobering. It means that for all the work of the church, for all of its pastors and all of its preachers and all of its preaching and all of its teaching and all of its organization and all of its missions work and all of its outreach, all of its Bible studies and Sunday schools and prayer groups and programs of discipleship and ministry, all of its meals together, celebrations of the Lord's table together and gatherings by the river for baptism together for all of that for all of that many will still be found in the church the local church not sufficiently ready for the Lord's return and left outside of his eternal kingdom at the last i have to admit that it's surprising to me at times to discover how little individuals have heard or understood the primary message of the gospel, though they've been exposed to the word of God being taught and communicated through preaching and study and hymnody for long periods of time. To discover in the press of life or at the end of life that they didn't know or live yielded to the good news that Jesus had fully covered the cost of their sin and that nothing else could repay it or make it up. That there was no work that they'd missed out or no work they needed to do if they had totally and only trusted in them, to find that they had rested their hope in a raised hand or a mental agreement with a doctrinal proposition, but that they had no believing connection of heart to Christ himself. They had a propositional salvation instead of a personal Savior. To find that they had no great love for Christ, then what made them feel good in a moment or sentimentally settled at any moment in time when they needed it. And yet there was no demonstration and is no demonstration in their life of a vital, personal, ongoing connection to him. No connection to his ongoing forgiveness and cleansing. No connection to his ongoing speech and command. No connection to his life-giving spirit. No release of the self in a hold of faith upon him. No true comfort in his presence and so they don't seek it out. No submission to his word. Rather to find that at the end there's more enjoyment in the company of others and a more commitment to follow the determinations of their own opinions and to seek out his will. More gladness to discuss their own ideas than to discuss together and bask in his word. All of this is stunning and shocking. But here Jesus tells us how it will be. Many will be unprepared for him in the end. Many in the church Many will not have the burning light of bright fellowship with them. And as you read this and you consider it, you realize that you have yet to understand the depth of the spiritual blindness that is possible in places where God sends out the greatest light. It's possible in life to be in the midst of the church, to be surrounded by wise virgins and be a foolish one. And the Lord Jesus is revealing that. And he didn't say, nine wise virgins, one foolish one. He gave the understanding that this would be a predominant and clear problem and concern. Here's another one. There's another thing we can learn from this passage. If you are not prepared to meet the Lord Jesus when he returns, it's because you're not preparing for him. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.